Listen to the best wrestling podcast in the world. Journey into Wrestling every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. The following, the following, the following. Is a journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 11 of Poor 360. We are here. Thank you for being here today. I am your host, Andrew Poor, as always. And if you've paid attention to our social media, you know that this is the first episode of our pet profile series, which is just about pets, pet keeping, keeping pets as a hobby, keeping pets for fun, just because you like the attention of a your furry friend or your reptilian friend or your fishy friend, whatever you like to keep around your house. This is the episode for you. And this episode is actually going to be on childhood pets. A lot of you, like myself, probably had pets growing up, and we valued the time we had with them, and it kind of changed how we keep pets now as adults. But before I really get into that, I kind of wanted to talk about what's going to come after this. As you know, this show originally conceived and has been going on does delve into the political on Friday, we did get the announcement that the Mueller report, the well, the Mueller investigation has ended. The Mueller report went to the Attorney General uh, 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 Barr, so and he gave his preliminary report to or his summary report to uh, Congress, which gave uh, which went in the direction of no obstruction or collusion with the president based on his report. Because the Mueller report gave no, whether it just presented the information and make the decision in the report for him. So obviously, the people who were against the investigation to begin with are now happy. The Democrats, who were hoping this would be the death nail in the Trump administration, are not. Obviously, there's still some gray area because the full report hasn't been released, so no one's able to make their own opinion on it. I will be talking about that more. That'll be coming up after this. So on episode. 14, this is 11, so episode 14 will be all about the Mueller investigation, the Mueller report. Over that point, we'll have some more information because it did just happen on Friday, then we had the weekend, now they're in the first week. Maybe the full report would be out by then if someone releases or a WikiLeaks or something might happen to release the full report out to the public, but who's to say? Or we'll have Barr in front of, uh, speaking in front of Congress as like a testimony or... Mueller speaking uh, to like a Senate committee hearing or whatever. So we'll see what comes of that in the next few weeks. But that'll be the... When I get back to the swing things after this whole pep series, that's what we'll be talking about. As well... Um, we'll talk about that. Um, also the... Also last week we had the closing of the Disney-Fox merger. So now, as of like... It was like 12.02 a.m. It was all official. There have already been some layoffs and there's some stuff happening. Everyone's happy because the Disney and... Or the Marvel properties that were under Fox are now back under Disney. And in the hands of Kevin Feige, what he, when he chose to do with them, when he chose to do with them. Um, I've already kind of expressed my feelings on it. How, yes, it's good for the fans. 
it's not great for the people who work for Fox and Disney, who's now, there's a doubling up of positions and someone from the lowly level person, because we're not going to keep two full studios running. There's going to be a consolidation of roles and a lot of people are going to get um, let go or get receive a severance package, which from what I read was, I think, one or two weeks per year with the company. So, been with the company 10 years, you get half a year of severance pay. So, when in a job, in a field that you're in, there's not one less studio hiring, so it's not an ideal situation. So yes, the X-Men can come play with the Avengers, but is the job loss worth it? I've made my thoughts about that known. I personally don't think so. As a fan of Marvel, as a fan of the superhero shows and movies, I'm excited for what's to come, but at the same time, it's... To me, it does feel like worth it, and we know we don't know what's going to happen now that Disney has these rights because we're not going to get a bunch of stuff right away. I a hundred percent, like I would be shocked, and I would have nothing to say. But I don't think there'll be even a tease in Endgame about what the future of Marvel, of like the X Men or Fantastic Four. There's going to be no tease of that because they would have to unless they come out after the fact if they do something they would have to say they started it later they can't they cannot mess with other companies properties before that because that's a big breach of ip and that could be a defense and someone could challenge that and that could be very bad for disney and i don't think they're gonna play that game the same reason they didn't do stuff with james gunn if that was their plan all along because you don't want to mess with ip that isn't yours and you don't want to mess with a deal that's in the process so and so we're not going to get x-men next year because we still have an x-men movie coming out soon like the dark phoenix movie is still coming out it's still slated it's not going to just disappear because of this deal new mutants that's a whole other story but i think people who think this change in these new characters are going to be integrated overnight are fooling themselves so but that's my little soapbox i want to get on before i started this show so now let's kind of go to a happier note, and like I said, I wanted to talk about pets, specifically childhood pets. This is going to be a three-part series. Today's episode is going to be about kind of the pets you had growing up and pets you were exposed to as a child. And then next week, uh, Tyler uh, McLaughlin from Podcastrophe, and I'll be talking about fish keeping because we're both in the hobby now. We both have tanks, and we'll talk about that and all of our experiences Tyler touched on it briefly with one of his tanks on Podcastry last week, which I encourage you to check out. Podcastry now is their own Patreon, which I encourage you to give a little. If you're already given to the Journey to Comics Network, maybe throw a buck or two to Podcastry. Those guys are making great content, and those guys are great, and I really want to see what the little extra funds they can uh, take that to in the future. And speaking of funds, thanks to everyone who came out to Fund for Funds over the weekend. It was a successful event, and they'll definitely, I think, there'll be some of those coming in the future. Uh, if you want to see the network guys again, uh, if you're living in the Midwest, LafayCon is just around the corner. It's in central Indiana, so definitely come check that out. You can check it out at, I think, LafayCon.com. For you to search LafayCon, L-A-F-F-Y-C-O-N, LafayCon. Check that out. It's uh, April 27th, 28th. I'll be there. My wife will be there, and a lot of the Journey Comics Network people will be there, so... Definitely come check it out if you want. To, if you like what you've been hearing from us, and there's a bunch of other con-related things. If you like comic conventions and music and all of that, so definitely come out to that. Oh, and then uh, sorry, I kind of tangent off. So then the third episode will be 
my wife Liz and I talking about the love of pets because Liz and I both love pets. We have in our home we have a lot of different types of pets. Like I said, we have our dog Max. We have our two cats. Um, I have my fish in the basement. And we just got a bird, so the the zoo is filling and we love it and we volunteer. So if you've listened to our Adulting and Easy show, which will be coming back sometime next month, uh, probably right around LaFiCon, if I'm not totally mistaken but um once we have a date we'll announce it on our socials and then get working on that but yeah definitely stay tuned the next two episodes is more pet stuff but childhood pets i feel like we've all had them uh in my experience growing up most of my friends had at least uh one pet or another uh, i think some of my best friends growing up i think one of them had he had two basset hounds um also i think like a hamster to uh, another friend just had cats they were inside outside cats i grew up with a lot of pets so um cats were uh always in my house when i was growing up we always had the inside outside cats they just they were outside they were inside we really had no track on them they didn't have tags they weren't chipped so actually uh one of our cats had babies. That's a whole other thing. When you are when you don't have a cat, it's not fixed, and it gets out and meets another stray cat, they'll make babies. So then you have a litter of cats to deal with, and you give them away to people, and you keep a couple for yourself, and that's how you did. And I had a little ginger cat um, growing up that was my little buddy. Um, but yeah, I think pets are always something that I feel like gives kids growing up a sense of nurture something they can take care of like kids will have toys and they'll have dolls and they'll have figurines and stuff they can play with but taking care of a living breathing thing i think helps a kid be responsible for something like the first pet that was actually mine was a gerbil um i don't know if my brother had a gerbil this time i didn't um we shared a room at the time i remember having a little um I think I think it was like a like a fish tank that you know you put the little wood chip bedding and the wheel and the stuff and you just put the dribble in there and you feed them and they're pretty content and they go out their business and you clean it and take care of it and yeah I I, I was probably I was in grade school I was probably six or seven if I'm not too mistaken and yeah that was my first pet and you always remember that pet because they always come up and always comes up on, like, security questions, you know, when you have to prove that you're not a robot. Like, if you're a fan of the John Mulaney sketch, it's like the... You have to prove to a robot that you are not a robot. So it's like, oh, or if you're making a security question, it's, uh... Oh, what was your first pet's name? Like, and that's when you always put the name down, and that's one of your security questions, because you always remember your first pet. And if you didn't have a first pet, I guess if you had allergies or just traveled a lot or just didn't have the exposure then yeah some people just didn't have pets some people just aren't pet people they're just parents never had them so you never had them growing up like liz um i think growing up only had uh her dad had a fish tank and that was the extent of pets they had i think and that sometimes happens in the case like if your parents have allergies or just never pet people then you kind of aren't a pet person until later in life if you choose to or sometimes you kind of avoid it altogether but, like I said, so, Adrobo was my first pet, and that pet met an unfortunate end, but you kind of move on to the next one, and I 
I think I went from like gerbils to hamsters and had cats, like I said, and the cats never bothered the gerbils and you just gerbils and hamsters. Like the rodents, I think, are a common first pet for kids. You get the little cage, you get it from the pets, so they put a little cardboard carton that you can take it home in, and then you get all the stuff for it. And it's just, it's a fun little experience for kids, and look forward to doing that one day for my own kids, just getting them their first pet. But some people don't think the rodents think they're messy and dirty and smelly, and the stuff smells awful because the, obviously they go to the bathroom on these wood chippings, and it just soaks it up and just will reek to heaven after a while. But... When you're a kid, you don't care about the smell of stuff. You're seven, you don't really care. But I think also in my house growing up, so this might be jumping forward. So I obviously said I had hamsters or gerbils, had the rodent stuff. My brother kind of went the the reptile route. He had he had like a gecko or a, or a lizard. He had a lizard or a gecko, and then he had like two different iguanas. And he would get, he had a, like a white mouse, which I think was just like a feeder mouse that he some reason kept as a pet. I don't know. I went the, the furry route. My brother went the reptile route. I don't know if that says anything about us as people, but it is what it is. Um, I'm trying to think kind of evolving. So at some point at that, we had uh, a dog, big black lab that we got as a, not quite as a stray, kind of as an abandonment because my dad had rental property and the dog was kind of left behind and the dog had its own problems. It, it was a great dog, it was well behaved, but it was, uh, if it could get out the front door, it would go out the front door and it would chase after and kill squirrels, it would run really far away, I remember my brother and I have to chase on our bikes to go get it, and it's, it was just kind of a, a hell of a thing trying to get it back, and it, uh, yeah, we never have to get rid of that at point because it, uh, it attacked a dachshund thinking it was a squirrel because it, anything small it would kind of go after. Not, not, not pretty. That's not really a, a, a fun story, but... So I think, let's see, I'm trying to kind of go through in my head, um... Pets I had around that time, so... Let's see... I think after, after the, the dog, we didn't really have a dog again until I got a dog in high schools, but after that I had... I kept having a hamster, I went like the dwarf hamster route. I remember having a cage in my own room, and there was this... Big red wire cage, you see, it kind of looks like a bird cage. It has like a plastic base with a tray you slide out, and you have the you had the wheel in there. And I actually remembered my first time actually learned using something not quite engineering, but know how to how to quiet gears and to soften noise. And I took because you know you you have a metal ring. On a, on a little metal frame, and that's how it spins on this little uh, uh, notched out area that the the hamster wheel track rides on. And obviously, it's just metal on metal. Eventually, it's just going to squeak because it's running on there at high speeds because it's a hamster. And I remember at night, the thing would be solvable. So I took it off, and I took a lead pencil and just ran the pencil along the track on the frame for the for the hamster wheel and then on the wheel itself where they contacted just to provide that little bit of lubrication and maybe that's why i'm an engineer i don't know but i remember that's one thing i did right away to and it quieted the noise on it gave it some kind of lubrication so it stopped it from doing it because obviously water doesn't work it's just gonna as soon as it dries it's gonna keep it up again but i remember doing that vaguely i was thinking about that today as i was talking trying to think over what i was going to talk about today and actually, it was 
that was probably before that time, but when I had the hamster cage, uh, the second time that had the wire cage on top, I somehow bought a pregnant dwarf hamster, which is just great, because all of a sudden you have, what the hell is that, and you have babies. You're like, what the hell am I going to do with this? Because, like, like any small free animal, it's gonna, it's just going to keep reproducing. So, babies grew up, made babies with each other, and then the babies were so small they could get out of the wire bars. So then you had escapees, which is terrifying, and you find them, or the cats find them, and then you do not have some hamster anymore. And I remember it got to a point where I tried to sell... Uh, sell them back to the pet store, and I think I was able to sell a few of them, but they just kept multiplying them, just taking I think the whole lot just out into the woods and just releasing them, which I know was probably not great. They're not... They're dwarf hamsters. They're not, like, field mice or squirrels. They don't know how to acclimate. They probably made an owl very happy. But I'm trying to think. I My whole amount of pets I've had growing up has been all over the place. I know for even kids who don't have pets... In probably grade school to middle school, there was a thing of classroom pets, which was probably a hamster or a mouse or a rat or a gerbil or something probably furry and four-legged that's small that you keep in a cage. And on weekends or on breaks, someone got taken up. I remember doing it, I think, one year. I think, like, third grade, I think I did it. Third or fourth grade. And that's another thing. Like, if you don't have pets yourself, maybe you volunteer, if you have a kid, have them volunteer to be, like, the the caregiver for the break, and then they can see if they want a pet, because maybe it's it's not the same type of commitment. Yeah, I apologize, it's been kind of a hell of a day, and I was planning to get to recording this earlier, but had we've been remodeling our laundry room, and I was uh, putting, I was putting a door on the hinges not even 20 minutes before I recorded, ten, no, not even 20 minutes, like 10 minutes before I recorded. So, I'm a little tired. It's a little later than I anticipated. So, I've been working late. And it's just been... It's been a long week. And I'm just kind of ready for a break. And it's a shame because it's the day before... It's like Monday. So, we just had the weekend. and But, we're going to talk about pets. And that's that's why you tuned into the show. Or if you wanted me to talk about... Other things, definitely come back on episode 14. You'll be... Get the in-depth on the Mueller investigation if you haven't been paying attention. But... Yeah, so I was going to pull people on the network to see like what they had growing up because I even though I had small animals growing up like the the hamsters, the dribbles, the uh, people who had like fish tanks or they had rabbits or ferrets. Like I think my my friend had a ferret and that was weird. They don't smell that great. But they're like like a weird combination. They're like kind of like a rat and a cat and a snake, and they're just they're long and they're furry, but they're not soup. They're not like super furry. They're they're interesting. They're like I remember someone uh, the meme of like what people called certain animals and it was like a cat snake was what someone called a ferret, and doesn't surprise me. Now let's get into the fun resources part of the episode, and this is where I pull up random Google search. This Google search topic is childhood pets, and I kind of pulled a couple things I think are fun and worth talking about, and it's kind of about pets and childhood and why kids with pets are better off. So a cultural study helps explain the impacts of pets on child development. 
So this is from Hal Herzog, who's a PhD person. Uh, this is from Psychology Today. So take with it what you will. So what he said is, when I was a kid, a pet changed my life. It was not our family's lovable mutt frisky or even Murphy, my pet duck. Pet duck, that is a new one. No, it was a four-foot yellow rat snake named Fred. I got it for three bucks when I was 13. He lived in a cage in my bedroom. I was transfixed by his enigmatic stare, alien beauty, and ability to swallow a mouse. I was hooked. Within a year, I had a menagerie of scaly, creepy crawlies. All my other kids were rocking out to the beetles and the stones. I was learning the Latin names of snakes and devouring books on reptile behavior and ecology. In retrospect, Fred turned out to be the metaphorical gateway drug that led me to preserve a PhD in animal behavior and to eventually publish papers on topics like the love songs of alligators and the personalities of baby garter snakes. While some of my pets, early pets were unusual, companion animals play major roles in the lives of many children. Indeed, in her 2008 book, The Powerful Bond Between People and Pets, psychologist Elizabeth Anderson wrote, Nothing less than alchemy is involved when animals and children get together and the resulting magic has healing properties that work well. But is it generally true that pets are linked to the psychological well-being of children? Yes, according to an excellent review of 22 studies of the impact of companion animals on child development, while some of the findings are mixed, the authors concluded that growing up with pets is linked to higher self-esteem, cognitive development, and social skills. Are pets linked to positive child development? What is it about living with pets that makes kids better off? The author of the review suggests several possibilities. These include the impacts of pets on reducing stress, providing social support and companionship, and improving children's communication skills. But a new study suggests a different answer, and I expect the result will be controversial. The research, which it says will appear, but uh, did appear in the September 2017 issue of the journal Anthrozoos, was conducted by a group of high-powered statisticians, statisticians from the RAND Corporation. All of the members of the research team had pets or grew up with pets, and they anticipated that their analysis would demonstrate the positive impact of companion animals on child development. To answer these questions, the investigators turned to a large existing data set. The California Health Interview Survey. This is an ongoing project that assesses the health and well-being of Californians. For the survey, telephone interviews were conducted with randomly selected adults, adolescents, and parents of children under 11. In addition to information on health and behavior, the survey includes items related to socioeconomic status, and demographic factors such as race, race, sorry, ethnicity, and sex. In the 2003 administration, participants were asked whether their household included a cat, a dog, or both. In this earlier post, I described another recent publication in which RAND researchers used this data set to study differences between adults who did and did not keep pets. To study the impact of pets on children, the researchers used the responses from households with at least one child between the ages of 5 and 11, Parents were asked a series of questions related to their child's children's physical and mental health. Data from 5,191 children were included in the study. 2,236 lived in homes with a dog or a cat. And 2,955 lived in households that did not include any animals. So, as expected, the researchers found that children living with pets were generally better off than children who did not have a pet. Children raised in families with pets were reported by their parents to have better general health, be more obedient, be more physically active, be less moody have fewer behavior problems, and have fewer learning problems. Interestingly, as shown in this, well, I can't show you the graph, but as the graph states, children with pets are more likely to have been diagnosed with an attention deficit disorder or hyperactivity. The pattern of general better physical and mental health among pet-owning kids was true for children living with cats and with dogs, so it would be easy for us to conclude that pets are good for kids. However, this collision could be wrong. 
The problem is that homes with and without pets were different in many ways other than the presence of animals. For example, the researchers found that kids with pets were less likely to be on free school lunch programs, less likely to be from households that move frequently, more likely to have parents who spoke English, more likely to be white rather than African American, Hispanic, or Asian, more likely to have parents born in the U.S., more likely to have, live in a house rather than an apartment, and more likely to have parents who were in good health. In short, children in homes with dogs or cats were wealthier and had a host of socioeconomic factors on their side. Could these advantages be the real explanation of the apparent relationship between pet ownership and improved health and well-being in children? The answer to this question, the RAIN researchers turned to a sophisticated statistical technique called the double robust regression approach. And I have no idea what that is. So here's the description of their report. We obtained a double robust estimate of exposure effect by adjusting for all covariates using the propensity score model in our regression model weighted by the propensity score weights. So if you don't understand any of this, don't worry. You just need to know that the method of analysis embedded the researchers to examine the effects of pet ownership that remained after adjusting for 20 demographic and socioeconomic differences between households with and without pets. What they found can be explained in a simple sentence. Virtually all differences between pet-owning and non-pet-owning kids disappeared when factors such as race, home ownership, parental health, and wealth were taken into account. This includes differences in the rate of ADD slash ADHD. In short, the analysis showed that kids with pets are better off, but not because they have companion animals. It's because they are likely come from more prosperous homes and not by, to be members of minority groups. So that's interesting. So basically, a study that found the results, but weren't looking at all the details. So that was one thing. So here's something from parents.com. So I'm guessing if you're a parent, you might have gone to this website before. I don't have kids, so this is my first time on parents.com. So they talk about why pets help kids. So children love their pets, and for good reason. Creatures large and small teach, delight, and offer a special kind of companionship. Everyone knows that kids love animals. A quick safari through your child's bedroom reminds you just how densely imaginary critters populate the storybooks, movies, music, toys, decor, and clothes of childhood. In real life, the amount of money we spend on our pets has nearly doubled in the past 10 years, rising to more than $38 billion according to the American Pet Products Manufacturers Association. The figure dwarfs the toy business, $23 billion, and the candy industry by $24 billion. Overall, an estimated 4 in 10 children begin life in a family with domestic animals, and as much as 90% of all kids live with pets at some point during their childhood. 90%, that's pretty impressive. So, this is from the author of the post, which is, give credit, Bill Strickland. He was the author of this article. So, he said, When I was growing up, I always had at least one dog paddling beside me on early adventure. And my wife was raised on a farm. So, we planned all along to make animals a part of our child's life. And related by how enthusiastically our daughter had just embraced pets. Her natural zeal and passion for critters of all kinds has led to our current menagerie of one German Shepherd, three cats a freshwater aquarium, a confoundingly long-lived tank of mail-order sea monkeys, and because we live in four and a half acres of Pennsylvania woods, an endless series of cameo appearances by turtles, mice, moles, frogs, toads, tadpoles, ducks, geese, and slugs, to name just a few creatures that have come to visit. All these beasts have been beneficial to her development, but we've been surprised by how wide-ranging those benefits have been. Like most parents, my wife and I counted on the common sense idea that having pets around would help teach our daughter responsibility and maybe empathy but we've also learned that the presence of animals in our house helps foster emotional cognitive social and physical de development sorry 
little tongue-tied tonight. Uh, and I've discovered that there's plenty of solid evidence to back that up. Here are five reasons to let the fur fly in your home. I'll take a quick drink. Uh, as Nate would say, uh, uh, thank you to Poor360. This is a blueberry blonde um, from Muddy Brewing, or Big Muddy Brewing in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Now, so how pets help with learning. So while book groups are are the rage among her mother's friends, she, um, her daughter, has her own reading tribe. We often find her curled up in her bed or lying on a den of blankets in a quiet nook of the house, reading to one or more of her cats. She pets them as they read, stops to show them pictures, and asks them questions. She even assures them during scary parts of the story. There's no surprise, says Mary Rank... John Longo, PhD and education professor at Indian University of Pennsylvania, an author of The World of Children and Their Companion Animals. Educators have long known that bringing therapy animals, mostly dogs, into schools helps developmentally challenged kids learn. Now they're finding that all children can benefit from the presence of a non-judgmental pal with paws. In one study, children were asked to read in front of a peer, an adult, and a dog. Researchers monitored their stress levels and found that kids were most relaxed around the animals, not the humans. You're struggling to read, and someone says, time to pick up your books and work. It's not a very attractive offer. Curling up with a dog or cat, on the other hand, is a lot... is a lot more appealing. So how pets provide comfort? In another study, children were asked what advice they would give less popular kids for making friends. The top answer didn't focus on a cool toy or must-have sneakers. It was, get a pet. With a hamster or horse, uh, an animal gives a child something to talk about in a shared interest with other kids. Animals are also great sort of comfort. So asked a group of five-year-old pet owners what they did when they felt sad, angry, afraid, or when they had a secret to share. More than 40% spontaneously mentioned turning to their pets. Kids who get support from their animal companions were rated by their parents as less anxious and withdrawn. So how do they encourage nurturing? So Dr. Melson began studying the impact of pets in order to learn how human beings develop the ability to care for others. Nurturing isn't a quality that suddenly appears in adulthood when we need it. But you don't learn to torture because you were nurtured as a child. People need a way to practice being caregivers when they're young. In our modern world, there's little opportunity for kids to provide for others living things aside from pets. In many other countries, siblings look after one another. But in the U.S., that's not culturally acceptable. It's actually illegal in many states to leave kids in the care of anyone who is under 16 years of age. So how are the seeds of good parenting skills planted during childhood? Dr. Melson believes one way is through pets. In her research, she tracked how much time kids over three spent actively caring for their pets versus caring for even playing with younger siblings. Over a 24-hour period, pet-owning kids spent 10.3 minutes in caregiving. Those with younger siblings spent only 2.4 minutes. Nurturing animals is especially important for boys because taking care of an animal isn't seen as a girl thing, like babysitting, playing house, or playing with dolls. By age 8, girls are more likely to be involved than boys in baby care, both inside and outside their homes. But when it comes to pet care, both genders remain equally involved. So that's kind of cool. So how they keep kids healthy. So no expert on Earth, not even the perky owner of the Happy Trolls Grooming Salon, a flu box in my home, obviously the author, not myself, We'll go along with my theory that there's a direct link between her relatively small number of ear infections and the number of cats in our home. So, okay, I'm probably wrong in thinking that felines lower a child's risk of otitis. Otitis media? 
I don't know. I have no idea what this is. But there's a reason to believe that animals cannot protect kids from at least some illnesses. According to a study, a pediatrician and head of the Allergy and Immunology Department of the Medical College of Georgia in August, Augusta, Augusta, Georgia, have multiple pets actually decreased the child's risk of developing certain allergies. His research tracked a group of 474 babies from birth to about age 7. He found that the children who were exposed to two or more dogs or cats as babies were less than half as likely to develop common allergies as kids with no pets in the home. Children with animals had fewer positive skin tests to indoor allergies like pest and dust, like pet and dust mite allergens, and also to outdoor allergens such as ragweed and grass. Other studies have suggested that early exposure to pets may decrease a child's risk of developing asthma. No one knows for sure why this is the case, but the doctor has a theory. When a child plays with a dog or cat, the animal usually licks him. The lick trains bacteria that that is live in the animal's mouth, and the exposure to the bacteria may change the way the child's immune system responds to other allergens. That makes sense. I guess you could just like exposure therapy, or why why the fact that my wife is a teacher, she brings home all sorts of things, so I get sick, she gets sick, but I'm but like my uh one of my bosses at work. His wife, he's been there for a long time. His wife's been a teacher for a long time. He's, they just don't get sick anymore because they get exposed to the same stuff. And they both built up immune systems to that. I think so the same kind of thing works there. So how do, this, how do pets build family bonds? One of the biggest benefits of having pets is often unexpected. Even for parents who grew up with, around other animals, they can help families grow stronger and closer. Whenever I ask children and parents their pets are truly part of the family, most of them seem surprised and almost offended at the question. The most common response is, of course they are. A pet is often the focus of activities that families do together. Everyone takes the dog for a walk, or shares in grooming and feeding him, or gets down on the floor and plays with him. There are even benefits from simply watching a cat chase his tail or a fish swim in his tank. Spending time like this offers the most wonderful potential of slowing down the hectic pace of modern life. If someone asks what you've been doing, you might respond, nothing. And in this era of overscheduled children and parents who are constantly on the go, nothing can be an important thing to do. Now, here's an article from Healthline. This is Choosing the Best Pet for Kids. So owning a pet can be a rewarding experience for a child. A well-chosen pet can bring years of joy. Pet ownership can also be a chance for kids to learn valuable life lessons as they care for a living creature. Pets can teach children about responsibility and dependability with adults. Uh, with adult guidance as an added bonus, some pets give affection in return for a child's loving attention. So fish, that's number one. A fish would be the perfect starter pet for a child, but not just any fish will do. Goldfish seem like the obvious choice, but they're actually more difficult to raise than the Siamese fighting fish or a betta fish. These Southeast Asian natives are adapted to thrive in isolation. In surprisingly small amounts of stagnant water, no aerators, filters, heaters, or chemicals are required. Now, obviously, as a fish hobbyist, I disagree with pretty much everything they said in that article, but... And also, I never had a fish as a pet growing up. It was never... And a tank, I, I like, we never had a tank in my house. That was just something I didn't really find until later. At one point, we had a betta fish. It was in, like, a bowl, like, a little vase with a plant, and that didn't go well very long. Now, the number two pet, according to this article on Healthline, is a reptile, which is kind of a big assortment of animals. So the appeal of cold-blooded creatures may be less obvious than that of warm. Fuzzy animals, but certain reptiles make prized pets. Tortoises, such as the plant-eating Russian tortoise, can live more than 50 years. 
Some snake species also make excellent pens, although constrictors should be avoided. Obviously. So, added bonus, reptiles are not allergenic. However, keep in mind that the American Academy of Pediatrics warns against reptiles as pets for young children because they can easily transmit salmonella. Didn't know that. Now I do. Make sure to research specific care requirements for any new reptile pet, as you should with all things. Now, number three, not surprising at all, is birds. I had one. This uh, I have one now. This is the first bird I've ever had in my life. I don't know if any of my friends have had birds now that I think about it. I don't think so, but my memory's a little fuzzy at this time of night. So, uh, birds can be excellent pets, but owning a bird is more demanding than caring for a tortoise or fish. Some birds are highly intelligent. Others are very social. All birds require almost daily attention. The relatively inexpensive parakeet may be a good starter for kids who haven't raised birds before. More expensive and more intelligent birds like cockatiels or, and cockatoos also make great pets, but they, need, but they may need more attention than parakeets or canaries. And I agree, they are very touchy. Like, I've heard uh, my bird Petey peep at me at least a few times since I started recording because he can hear my voice. Uh, number four. Rodents. Like I said in the beginning of the episode, I've had hamsters and gerbils and dwarf hamsters. My brother had a mouse at one point. It's just things that we're... So that was a thing that we had in the house growing up. So smaller animals, including hamsters, guinea pigs, and germal, gerbils, sorry, are relatively easy to raise. Almost, Also, most will thrive in a relatively small living space, and care is fairly straightforward. Except for hamsters, which are solitary, it's best to obtain young... Same-sex pairs. Regular gentle handling promotes friendliness. But be mindful that bites are possible should rodents, especially hamsters, especially hamsters, feel threatened. Surprisingly, rats make excellent pets due to their intelligence, larger size, and enjoyment of human companionship. Guinea pigs are also good kid-friendly pets. Oh, I never had a guinea pig. They seem fun. Um, one of my cousins right now has a hedgehog. Uh, he's grown and old out of college now but hedgehogs are always kind of interesting they're kind of a rodent they're prickly i always thought they would be like painful to touch but if you don't pet them wrong and you treat them well they're not going to hurt you so also no. number five is cats so like i said cats growing up all my life I had cats till i moved out of the house and i have cats now i have a cat within five feet of me at this moment so Cats are fun. So, kittens are childhood favorites who can resist the antics of a fluffy feline. Notoriously independent cats need somewhat less care and attention than dogs, but no less commitment. And there's my bird. Like dogs, cats require regular veterinary checkups and immunizations. It's important to choose a cat that's suitable to be around children. A cat may be a better choice than your dog if your family has limited living space. Uh, when I had an apartment, I started with Max, my dog. Then I got Daisy, and then I got Rory, and now I'm in a house, and I have all three plus a lot more pets. So, the local show staff can advise you on the temperament of adoptable cats. Number six is dogs. I'm hoping these aren't in a particular order, because I feel like dogs are probably the number one pet here. So, a cuddly puppy is probably the most classic children's pet, but choosing an ideal dog involves more than falling for big brown eyes. Some dogs will be suitable for children. Before adopting a dog, ensure that the dog is well socialized and comfortable around children. Any breed will need significant commitment of time and effort. Puppies must be housebroken and require daily exercise, regular veterinary checkups and immunizations, and plenty of love. Every dog is different, but kid-friendly breeds include Labrador Retrievers, Golden Retrievers, Boxers, and Beagles. And I think all dogs. Like, if you go to any shelter, just, if you 
kind of open yourself to a dog, take it to a room where he's not trapped in its kennel. You can really see the behavior and the personality of the dog come out and just find one that gels with you. I've been lucky enough that all of my pets, after an initial interaction, have bonded well with. And, yeah, I think uh, a cat or a dog is always a good starter pet and a pet really for the whole family. Now, insects and arthropods. Six-legged creatures might not be the first to come to mind when thinking of a pet for children. Building an ant farm can be an entertaining and educational experience for a child. Various suppliers sell habitats designed to let children directly observe ant activities. Ants can be shipped live and grown from eggs. Herbert Carbs is another example of creepy crawlers that are easily raised in captivity. I don't think I ever had an ant farm. I did have a hermit crab and it started falling apart. It was kind of terrifying. Brine shrimp. Now, that's one I've never heard of. Better known as sea monkeys, these tiny crustaceans are essentially foolproof starter pets that even small children can enjoy. They're available in kits. Children need only to add water and watch these tiny live shrimp emerge, become active, and grow. Maintenance of these hardy creatures involve adding feed about once a week and occasionally adding water to combat evaporation. Collie can thrive for a year or more with minimal care. So brine shrimp are sea monkeys? I honestly did not know that at all. Because brine shrimp is a thing that they always want you... There's a good thing to feed, like, pet fish, which is interesting. Like, live baby brine shrimp are supposedly the best thing to feed baby fish. Weird. Um, you kind of know about care requirements if you should... Always, there's always care requirements to give it to the pet... So that's something to always keep in mind of. And I'm going to end uh, today's episode with, I think, the funniest article I've found. And this is on, this is from scarymommy.com. So it's like a mommy blog type thing. It's, uh, the title says it all. It's a definite list of childhood pets and why they suck. And the picture that she uses is, uh, looks like two pet rocks with googly eyes and grass. So, Here's her thing. I'm guessing she's she sounds very thrilled. So it's finally happened. Your child asks you for a pet. Isn't that great? Let me go ahead and answer that question for you. No, it's not. When your child asks for a pet, what they're really asking you is, would you like to take care of an animal in your house? You receive absolutely zero credit for caring for it. Little Hannah doesn't have a pet hamster. You have a pet hamster. I know you're going to say you're going to tell me that you sat your child down in a serious discussion about responsibility. Your child will be doing all the work, and it's actually going to be a great lesson in how to care for another living creature. Feel free to basic message me while you're cleaning out the hamster cage for moral support. I promise I'll only respond with three laugh and crying stickers. Maybe four. Five tops. But take heart. Some pets are definitely worse than others. While some pets can be tolerated and even become enjoyable, there's some pets you definitely veto immediately. These are basically the pets and the reason why they are terrible ideas. She said terrible. Like T-U, like 10 R's, I-B-L-E. And my... Bird PD is just having a storm. He he hangs around his cage. His cage is in the living room. I'm in the family room. So, lots of fun. So, he's probably mad because I have the light on. He wants to go to bed. Birds are weird, guys. I swear. So, here's her brief as bed. So, dog, do you miss having a toddler around the house? You should definitely get a puppy. I guarantee you that constantly removing objects that aren't edible from a slobbery mouth and getting up three times in the middle of the night to let the puppy outside, only to watch him happily pee on the rug right in front of you, then the second he comes back into the house... Hope you remember how incredibly not great those years were. Now, a cat. I've always wanted to teach your children about rejection. What about how to handle a family member or friend who doesn't like being around you? Whom you can't really cut out of your life, so you just have to learn to tolerate each other. Adopt a cat. Make sure you find one that will live to be about 20 years old. You know, if you get lucky, adopt one of those cats if it really hates you and pisses all over your house. Hamster. 
Don't be sucked into the colorful tubes in the song that was on the internet when you first learned that the internet was a thing. Uh, I don't know that song. It's in your head now, isn't it? You're welcome. Don't know the song. There's probably a hamster song. I'll look it up. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. So they're kind of cute, but don't really do much. Hamsters literally sleep all day long. You know, daytime. The time of your day that your child prefers to be awake and playing with their pets. Yeah, hamsters aren't ha- huge fans of that. They do like to wake up at, oh, I don't know. What time do you put your kids to bed? That time. That's time they like to wake up and not endlessly on everything around them. Or run on their wheel. I added the run on the wheel part. I feel like it was fitting. Fish. Boring. Like ten O's. Uh, fish are extremely excited to pick out and transport home. Then the fun factor sharply declines about 15 minutes after you dump your fish into the tank. That's about the time your kids realize that swimming is pretty much all the fish are going to do. They'll, they'll remember that they can't pet their fish or take them anywhere except the toilet when they're unsuccessfully kicked the bucket for some stupid scientific bullshit like the pH balance or alkali or some... Yeah, she doesn't like fish. Uh, rabbit. Here's the thing. A rabbit doesn't particularly want to be your pet. They want to eat, drink, sleep, and be left alone. They are the Kesha of the pet world. This must be old because Kesha is not that person anymore. So, but beside the point, everything else about being a pet terrifies them. They may look like they're enjoying it when you pet them, but they're really, they are frozen with fear. Your typical rabbit out of its cage is not simply going to happily hop around your house. It's going to bolt across your living room to find the closest corner to sit and stare at everything until this nightmare is over and you put it back into the cage. Bird, have you ever looked at a sparrow sitting in a tree in your background and thought, I wonder what it would be like to have that creature wildly flying around my house, bumping into things and shitting everywhere? But your child, buy your child a bird and find out. Birds are big fans of making lots of noises as well. Not all those noises are necessarily beautiful or nice or not headache-inducing. They also have a wonderful habit of bonding deeply with one specific person, developing an all-consuming hatred toward the rest of humanity. Usually this person is the one who feeds and cares for it the most Dependably. So if you don't feel like you're giving your kids enough to talk about therapy, give yourself a parrot and roll the dice. And second, that really isn't a good option at all when it comes to pets. It may be time for plan B. Bribe children with an over-the-top gift. Trust me, no matter what you spend, you're still getting off easy. <laughs> I like that. And I think that will do it for today's episode. It's been a little all over the place, but... Like pets when you're a kid, they're, sometimes they get a little all over the place. That is does it for Poor360 for this week. Stay tuned next week when Tyler and I talk about fish and go in-depth and nerdy and fishy and talk about all the fun stuff we've had going on since we got into this fish-keeping hobby that we've found ourselves in. And then the next episode will be Liz and I talking about our love for all things pet and animal and all things like that. So, like I said, this has been Poor360. I am Andrew Poor. You have a great week. You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitch Radio, Spotify, and many others.